Hey everybody, Dave DeBow here with another episode of the Property Profits Real Estate Podcast. Today, zooming in all the way from beautiful Toronto, we've got Darren Varos. How are you doing today, Darren? Good, Dave. You? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. My pleasure. So Darren's been a an active investor for a long time. I think he got his start way back in 2002. And he's done all sorts of cool stuff with real estate. These days, he's focusing primarily on conversions. But what I really wanted to talk with Darren about is a very cool strategy, very smart strategy that he explained very, very well in one of his YouTube videos. Darren, I think you got a, a, an amazing YouTube channel, so people should definitely check that out. That's for sure. And it's all about uh, what you call the TFSA maximizer. So for our American viewers and listeners, I'm not sure what the American equivalent is. Do you know if there is one? Yeah, that's. Uh, I think it's the Roth IRA in the U.S. They have, okay. they have their 401k, which is the equivalent to our RRSP, and their Roth IRA is their tax-free uh, investing account. Okay, perfect. All right. So for us Canadians, there's this TFSA thing that most of us are very confused about, and very few of us, I think, actually use properly because it's called the tax-free savings account. But Darren is going to show us a very, very cool way of really maximizing that and using that for investing, which a lot of people aren't, I don't think, are aware that they can actually do. So, Darren, first of all, how did you kind of come across this whole concept and, and really dial it in? I think it started when I started borrowing funds, essentially, from other investors, you know, and it was this idea of instead of using my, my own money, I wanted to use what we call OPM, which is other people's money. And I started borrowing that money privately, either through a secured form, you know, putting a second mortgage on my properties, or I did it in an unsecured form through a promissory note or something like that. And I started to, you know, people get were coming to me and saying, I'd like to use my RSP money, or I'd like to use my CAF or my TFSA money. And then I sort of heard about this idea. It was through another investor. They said, actually, you can maximize the return on your TFSA if you structure things properly. And I kind of looked into it a little bit more. I checked with my accountant, of course. I checked with my lawyer and said, is this actually legit? Can we do this? And if it's structured properly, then absolutely. There's a way to maximize that money being earned inside of that tax-free savings account and minimize the return inside of your you know, RSP if that's what you're using on the other side of that. Because as you know, RSP is not tax-free, it is tax-deferred. We're going to pay tax on that money. It's just a matter of when we, we withdraw that money. So that was sort of how I came about it. And then a lot of the deals that I've done since that, that I've used private money, I've used this strategy, which has been really beneficial to my investors and really has no effect on me as the as the borrower or the investor or the or the lender so it's kind of a win-win situation very cool so for folks that aren't really up to speed on what the heck a TFSA is can you just give us a very very brief compare and contrast a TFSA versus an RRSP type of an account yeah, I think like the government didn't do us any favors with naming it, like you said, the tax-free savings account. It should have been called a tax-free investment account. And then I think people would really understand what they can do with it. But most people literally open up a tax-free savings account at their local financial institution. 
they drop 20 bucks in every month when they have some savings that's left over from their checking account and they let that build at whatever the bank's going to pay them at 0.5 interest, right? And so it's like, you know, the rule of 72 says 72, you divide it by our fixed rate of interest. That's going to tell us how long it takes to double our money. So if the bank's paying us half percent, it takes 144 years to double our money, right? So not the financial plan that I'm interested in, that's for sure. So what we really want to do is take that money and use it in a, if we want to use it in real estate, we have to do that in a very specific way. And that's through what we call a self-directed tax-free savings account. And we can only do that with a couple of financial institutions in Canada. And most financial advisors or even the banks will tell you, yes, I can do self-directed TFSAs and I can do self-directed RSPs for you. But what they'll generally put you in is their own product, right? Bank product or anything like that. Well, of course. But, yeah, exactly. Money on right? it, right? So there you go. Yeah. They, they, yeah, which I, I totally itself. understand. Yeah. yeah, I totally understand. It makes sense. They're trying to basically boost their profits. But as real estate investors, we can actually take that money to one of those two financial institutions that I know of, Olympia Trust or Community Trust, open up a self-directed TFSA or a self-directed RSP account and now we can invest in real estate through what's called an arm's length transaction. Nice. So arm's length to just explain it as simple as possible is if you or any one of your immediate family has any ownership in that property, you cannot lend those funds to yourself. But I could lend my money to you, Dave, because there's no connection through family or, or marriage. And so essentially, I could lend my TFSA money to you and as a second mortgage or a private loan. And now I can earn interest on that money like I would any other bank lending out money to an individual. So yeah. that's the easiest way to explain, I guess, the, the TFSA and the RSP is the same. We can still do that inside of our RSP as long as it's in a self-directed account. We can do that with our RIFs, our Liras, anything registered to the government of Canada can be used to invest in real estate as long as it's in that self-directed form. And we go about it in the proper way and doing that arm's length transaction. Very cool, Darren. So again, big picture, you know, most RRSP funds, yes, you can build those up. They are tax deferred though, right? So in all of your all of your funds that are in RSPs, whatever you if you've got that in self-directed RSPs, that's great. You can build that up. However, when you retire and when you start withdrawing those funds, that's when you get whacked. That's when the government comes in and says, okay, great, now it's time for you to pay taxes. So they're really just tax deferred. However, tax-free savings accounts are actually tax-free. So whatever interest rate you get within your tax-free savings account, all of that money is yours to keep when you withdraw that, that money. So for folks that haven't started a TFSA, what are some of the limitations? Because I think there's only, you know, the government doesn't want you taking all your money from your RSPs and putting it into a TFSA. So they put some limitations on there. How does that work just very, very briefly? And how can we how can we get enough money in there to make it worthwhile to start investing in real estate? Yeah, it's pretty simple. You know, if you have, were 18 years or older as of 2009 and are a Canadian citizen or hold an equivalent sort of uh, permanent resident card, you can invest up to a maximum of $69,500. That's the limit for 2020. And then each year, the government sets a new limit on the maximum amount of funds that you can contribute to your TFSA. So we can so, put in 69 grand a year? No, 69 up until now. 
And okay. that's if you haven't contributed anything. And moving forward, if you tap out at 69,000 this year, the limit for 2021, I believe, is going to be $6,000 as an individual or $12,000 as a married couple, right? So each year they set that limit and then you can uh, deposit the maximum amount or you can deposit, you know, whatever you want to do up to that maximum amount. The nice thing about the TFSA is if you withdraw money, like let's say I just withdrew like $10,000 to renovate my house, I get to now top it up next year. So if I had 69,000, I withdrew 10,000. In 2021, I'd be able to contribute 16,000 because oh. I've got the $6,000 from 2021 and the 10,000 I took out from 2020. So you can keep sort of putting money back in as you, as you take it out. So, and again, this is something that we're not taught a lot about. It's relatively new, right? It came out about in, like I say, 2009. So most people don't know it, how it works and they don't really understand what you can do with this account. Now, is there a way for us to get some of our money from our RRSPs into a TFSA? Is that possible? I get different answers on this all the time, depending yeah, on- Yeah, I right. gave you it here. You're not a financial planner. You're a real yeah, estate guy. Yeah. From what I understand, the answer is no, because you're, you're taking that money out of your RSP uh, you know, funds. The moment you take it out, you are taxed on it. So it can't be transferred over to your TFSA. It has to be something that you're essentially just starting your TFSA fund new. Now, like I say, there, there are some caveats to that and everybody's got a slightly different answer. So, you know, I would definitely lean on my accountants and the people that really know more about this uh, actual, the actual rule. It really comes down to the CRA. What does the CRA say, right? Because we can do whatever we want to do, but it's going to be the taxman that ultimately decides. So speak to your accountant about it and they'll, they'll be able to direct you. Awesome. All right, perfect. Well, that's enough preamble about all of this, but I think it's really important for people to kind of get that gist. Here's the sexy part about this whole thing, folks, is Darren's going to show us how we can start getting a 20% return on our money within that TFSA, lending that out to eager real estate investors. And when most people hear that, they go, who the heck's going to pay 20%? That's like credit card type interest for a loan. So why don't you walk us through big picture how this works? And I'm going to do my best, Darren, to scribble and scratch some notes down here and maybe show it because it's kind of a visual thing. There's some numbers going on here. For so sure. what can we yeah. do for an example here? So let's take that maximum value for now. That's relatively easy to work with, right? Let's say that uh, $69,500. Let's say you have that in your TFSA right now. Okay. And let's say that you have, uh, for simplicity, let's say you have an equal amount in available in your RSP or in a cash form or something like that. Something similar. You have another $69,500 that you want to lend out to somebody. Let's say it's in an RSP just to keep it simple. That, that does keep it easy. Yeah. Right. And it makes a little bit more sense in an RSP than it does in, in cash form. Right. Yeah. So now my total that I have to lend out is $139,000. I've got 69.5 in my TFSA, 69.5 in my RSP. And Dave, you're going to take that money. Got it. You're going to lend it to me because I'm an active investor, right? I'm constantly buying properties. Like I said, I'm doing this conversion project right now in Toronto. It's a million and a half dollar renovation. And I'm going to borrow those $139,000 from you. And I'm going to pay you 12% interest on that $139,000, which is a pretty standard interest rate for private lending. If I'm in second position, something like that. Yeah. So 139,000 at 12% on an annual basis, right? Uh, we're going to be looking at $16,680 
in that one single year. Got it. Yeah. So if we divide that out, because we're equally paying 12% in the RSP, 12% in the TFSA, we take that number, we divide it in half, and we're, we're, we're going to put $8,340 back into our RSP, and we're going to put $8,340 back into our TFSA, right? We're dividing those equally because equal funds came out of both of those accounts. Uh-huh. So 8340, 8340. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Now, the thing about that is, is that in the RSP, we got to pay tax on that money at some point. Right. And the idea with the RSP, the reason it was set up is like you say, it was, it's tax deferred and Canadians dump money into their RSP all the time because we are taught that, you know, when you put your money into your RSP, A, it's going to grow. Everyone show that financial advisor shows you the graph. The longer you keep it in, the longer it goes up, the more money you make. Yeah, because the stock market does nothing but this, right? So, I mean, it's... The problem is, is that a lot of people don't explain that, you know, anywhere between a 2 to 3% fee that's being charged on Canadians' favorite things, which are mutual funds, right? Put it in your RSP, put it in mutual funds, and you can earn an average of 7 or 8% on an annual basis, which which is true. but what happens is if you're somebody managing those funds is making 3% and 3% doesn't sound like a lot of money, but it's three out of 8% that they're taking, not 3% overall. They're essentially taking one third of the amount of money that you're making and that's being charged back in fees. So the average mutual fund makes anywhere between three to 4% per year. And if we go back to that rule of 72, it takes like 36 years for people to double their money. So yeah, and then they're they, on it when they, they take it out, take those fees, they don't take that out of your profits. They take that out of your capital, right? So it's, it's every year, whether they're making you money or not, you're getting dinged. So I have actually seen different graphs. It's, it's worse than that, right? Because, yeah, I'm, I'm being, I'm being optimistic. <laughs> yeah, you're being very generous. Sorry, I got yeah. to against uh, the financial planning business, but anyhow, yeah. let's keep on. So if you look at that sort of idea, And again, like when people do take that money out at the end, it's taxed, right? So why would I want to put all my money in my RSP? Why would I want to maximize returns there or even equalize returns there? Why wouldn't I want to get them earning higher in my tax-free savings account, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. So the idea here is instead of keeping my interest rate even at 12% across that 69.5 and 69.5, what I can do is if I structure this properly, I can take my RSP money. And I can pay 4% interest to the RSP and 20% interest to the TFSA. And if you look at those, you're saying, well, now I'm paying 24% interest. No, you're not, right? Because when you look at that same $139,000, or actually you say you take 69.5 and 69.5. So do your math there, Dave. You take $69,500 and you're making 4% interest on it. What's that? That is... You tell me because I don't have my calculator to add. Yeah, it's $2,780, right? This is that same one year. Yep. You're going to make 4% on your RSP money. And now you take your 69.5 at your TFSA and you're going to earn 20% on that money. Mm-hmm. And now you've got $13,900 inside of your TFSA. And when you add up 13.9 and what was the other number? 27.80? 27.80, yeah. I get 16680. Exactly. So we're coming out with the same same See? amount as if we had it done 12 and 12, but now we're doing 20 
and four because we're blending these. So it's the same total amount getting loaned out to 139, but half of it's getting loaned out via the TFSA at 20%. The other half's getting loaned out via the RSP at 4%, total blended. So you as the the end user, the uh, the, the borrower, borrower. Yeah. you're still paying the same net amount. It's still netting out to 12% blended for you, correct? Well, yeah. The difference for you, though, is you just made $2,700 that you have to pay tax on at some point, and you made 13 and change that you don't have to pay tax on. That's huge. That's, that's the big difference, right? And then, and that's where you can kind of earn that 20%. And, you know, and it makes sense because your other balanced funds are only earning that 4%, like you said. And the way that we justify this with the, with the CRA, um, the way that we can structure this is that it makes sense and there's no red flags mm -hmm. is, yeah, exactly, tax-free and then tax money. The way that we do this is Oftentimes when I'm private borrowing, when I'm using funds to finance a renovation or whatever that is, I often have a first mortgage on my property already, right? And when I put a second mortgage in place, I pay a higher interest rate than my first mortgage. And when I put a third mortgage in place, I'm paying a higher mortgage than my first mortgage, my second mortgage, the highest amount is my third mortgage. So what we usually do to structure this properly is if I'm borrowing funds from you, I'll put that RRSP money in a second mortgage mm -hmm. and then I'll put the TFSA money in a third mortgage, a register two separate, right? There's a slight, slightly higher cost to do this from the legal perspective, but it's not, it's not enough to really worry about so much, but yeah, you get one in second position, one in third position. So now from the CRA's perspective, I can say, this is why we're paying 4% in second position and why we're paying 20% in third position because there's an, a much higher inherent risk being in third position because if this person defaults, first person to come in is going to be the bank. Then the second person is going to be to come in the second position and the third position is going to be that TFSA money. And that's how we can justify paying those higher interest rates on those funds. Now, and from the investor standpoint, they're still covered because they're both in second and third position. That's right. And ideally, you know, you keep your loan to values in check and you're not over leveraging at 120 or 130% of the loan to value. You still want to stay underneath those loan to value levels that are comfortable for you as an investor. Oh, that's brilliant, Darren. So are you finding that, you know, people that aren't, there's a bit of an education curve here to get people up to speed on what this is all about. I mean, we've just spent pretty much 20 minutes kind of going over this. So it must be a little bit of a hurdle to Joe Public, who's not a real estate person, who's only heard all the hogwash, I mean, the education from the financial planning industry about where they should be putting their money and their, you know, their, their friendly local banker and where they should be putting their money and all that kind of stuff. Is it a bit of a, a hurdle getting people on board with this, especially because they have to actually do something and open up a self-directed account and all this kind of stuff? What are some of the challenges you see with that? Well, I think you get outside of the real estate investing world and we are taught as Canadians that the higher the return, the higher the risk. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And so that is ingrained in most people's heads. But what is your risk tolerance with your stock portfolio? Do you have any control over what Coca-Cola, Apple and Amazon do with their business? Yeah, you do not. Nothing. As a real estate investor, I can vet 
the deal that I'm looking at. I can look at that person's track record. I can look at how many transactions they've done. I can look at the loan to value on the property. If the loan to value on the property, even when I come in in second and third position is only 70% loan to value, that property would have to drop by 30% before I would be underwater. And that person would have to default. Those two things would have to happen, right? So if I'm doing my due diligence and I'm keeping my loan to values in check, this to me is a much actually safer investment than putting my money into the stock market. Into by far. By yeah. Far. Yeah, so I think it's just, it's about having those conversations. But I think, it, you know, the other thing that happens is people say, I'm all in, Darren, just show me where to sign. And I say, okay, just all you have to do is go and set up a self-directed account with one of those financial institutions and transfer your money over. So what do they do? Not they go and talk to their financial advisor. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. That's <laughs> the worst thing they do. And uh, yeah. And, the financial advisor says, this is so risky. I don't know why you're doing this. And it makes sense because, you know, I've got nothing against financial advisors. I just think that it's something where it's just somebody's livelihood. So it makes sense that they're sort of fighting tooth and nail to keep that, that money there. And even the banks, sometimes I've seen people try to transfer from their TFSA to the self-directed accounts and the banks will bury you in paperwork months and months and months and people trying to get this fund. So I always tell people, I say, Find your transaction first. So find the person that you want to lend money to. That's me, right? Find me. I'll find, we're going to agree on a deal. Then you're going to go and set up an account with Olympia Trust or Community Trust. And then you're going to ask them to pull the funds for you, as opposed to pushing the funds to that one of those financial institutions. So because make them do the work. That's smart. When it's Olympia Trust calling RBC and saying, can you just transfer over this person's funds? There's no questions asked. And it usually happens within two to three weeks, right? Wow. Okay, that's But if you're pushing those funds through your financial advisor, through anything like they're going to delay it, they're going to take all of these precautions and it's going to take months and months and months. So that's the biggest hurdle is, is often getting those funds out of the existing situation they're in over to self-directed. And that requires a lot of babysitting on your, on your part with your investor to make sure, you know, because people get sidetracked, distracted and frustrated. And some of them, if you don't babysit them along the way, they're going to say, screw it. It's too much work, right? So yeah. you got to, got to keep it wrong. Brilliant stuff, Darren. Time flies when we're having fun. Thank you very much for uh, educating us about this very, very, very cool TFSA maximizer strategy. I really appreciate it. I appreciate all the education you're putting out there. If people want to find out more about you and maybe watch some more cool videos, what should they do? Uh, just go to YouTube forward slash Darren Boros. That's the easiest one. Or check out my website, DarrenBoros.com. That's pretty easy. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks very much. Thanks, Dave. All right, everybody. Take care. We'll talk to you on the next episode. Bye-bye. Okay. Well, hey there. Thanks for tuning into the Property Profits Podcast. If you like this episode, that's great. Please go ahead and subscribe on iTunes. Give us a good review. That'd be awesome. I appreciate that. And if you're looking to attract investors and raise capital for your deals, then I'm going to invite you to get a complimentary copy of my newest book right back there. There it is. The Money Partner Formula. You can get a PDF version at InvestorAttractionBook.com. Again, InvestorAttractionBook.com. Take care.